Wonderful. Thank you for uh, verification of the uh, of the audio situation, everybody. Yeah. So I don't know why, but this camera is like. <laughs> Watch. If I sit up here, it's gonna like scroll up a little bit. I don't like that. I'm not gonna lie. All right. But you know, I'm I'm doing what I can here, people. Listen. This is why. This is why we get on a couple minutes early. Right now, listen, we've got we've got it all going on here, ladies and gents. We've got some we've got some veterans to the show. We got Jamie Tripp in the house. We got Peter in the house. Peter, I'm going to answer that question. Uh, copy and paste it real quick and uh, uh, get ready to repaste once I start getting to questions. Because I've got my. Uh, I've got my rundown to do. The logs are burning so well. You don't even know the half of it. Like you might think that those logs aren't burning well. Well, I've got news for you. My adoring wife is going to be bringing me a vessel of coffee here shortly. So she will not want to be on uh on camera she'll be she'll be off to the side i could almost use two monitors you know what i mean if you want to see adam makes beer take it to the next level i need two monitors here one for questions one just super zoomed in on my face so it would basically be like um jambi do you remember jambi Peewee's Playhouse. It's just the head in the box. I think that was Jambi, right? Because it was Cherry, was the chair. Hey, good day, all of you. It is the October 2023 live stream. This is Adam Makes Beer, and my name's Adam. Hopefully, everybody's doing well out there tonight, today, this morning, wherever it is that you are when you are listening to it. Tip the hat to everybody that is in the chat live with us. It is a great opportunity to go ahead and interact with a fun group of people that we have week in and week out in the chat, our own little Adam Makes Beer community. But... You can ask your questions live and we can you can get those and we, we can talk beer and do the thing. You know what I mean? So uh, let's get into it. Adam Makes Beer is now a podcast. Check out Spotify, Apple Podcast and see all of the long form brewer interviews we have done. Also, if you are new to the channel or podcast, go to Adam Makes Beer on YouTube Click the playlist tab and see tons of info, brew days, technique videos, tutorial videos. I just saw it today. I think as of today, October, whatever it is, 4th maybe, that we have like 451 videos on there, keeping it real, doing our thing. As always, if you are getting value out of the content, please follow, rate, like, comment, and share with your brewing friends and craft beer enthusiasts. And I'm going to get into some of the stuff a little bit later, but uh, please feel free to also become a channel member. I believe it is $2.99 a month. 
Um, the one perk of doing that is you do get priority questions being answered for these live streams. Um, so it, it's just kind of a little of a tip of a hat on your part to me. Um, and uh, much appreciated. But at the same time, the, the goal of this channel is to be having all of the free content. If you do find yourself in a situation where you are enjoying the channel, learning from this content, and you have the spare change, feel free to join a little membership over there on the YouTube page. Also, I was told to mention that apparently you can uh, like do super thank things and whatever uh, there in the chat, uh, tips, what have you. Um, that would be uh, much appreciated as well, but again, not necessary. Um, the, the whole goal of this channel is to spread as much beer information as we can. And so, yeah, if you're here watching and enjoying, that's all it needs to be. Some new things coming up. I'm excited to announce that I will be a guest on the Mohead Y'all podcast as well as the Beersmith podcast later this month. Um, got hit up by uh, the guys over at the Mohead Y'all podcast, a couple of craft beer enthusiasts. Um, the one fella is uh, is a public speaker. He has some TED Talks under his belt. Um, they got a, they've got a podcast where they talk beer. Um, so I'm going to be on there with them, uh, kind of doing, kind of doing what we do. That'll be good. And then we're going to be talking with, uh, Brad Smith over at beer Smith as well. When those episodes go live, I will make sure to let you know about it more than likely on Instagram. So please follow me on Instagram at Adam Makes Beer. I believe there's an underscore between each one of those words, but either way, you will probably be able to find it. So that's great. What else? Oh, and please, uh, please check those podcasts out. Beersmith Podcast. Um, I know he has a YouTube channel, the Mo Head Y'all Podcast as well. Give those a sub and check those, check those out. Uh, some some good stuff over there. Response has been positive for a recipe tutorial course. I'm still looking into how I want to pull off the subscription portion of that, but I'm working on my outline for the series and I'm very excited about it. So the idea is this last live stream, I talked to you all about the possibility of me starting up a, not starting up or kind of figuring out how to do, I, I want to, I want to have kind of a, um, a little bit of an intermediate course, maybe not fully intermediate, but kind of into intermediate on recipe writing and that whole process. It would be helpful if you have made beer before. Some different things like that are a little bit familiar, uh, potentially even familiar like with a recipe calculator. And then I'll, I'll walk you through all the processes that I do with things like that. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it behind a, a paywall like on YouTube. So if you're a YouTube member, um, you know, you would have access. I, but the thing is with that, that's a monthly fee. And I really want to have something that's like a one-time purchase. Um, 
and then you just have access to it. I'm looking at Patreon, of course, and a bunch of others that that may host those things for me. Um, again, I, I'm doing research on it, and we'll we'll figure it out. But but that probably will be coming. My goal on that is to have something out like that, maybe before the end of the year, maybe into January. We'll see. I'm 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 busy with uh, with my real work. Uh, right now, and and we'll we'll kind of see how how that goes as far as my work schedule, but we'll we'll see what I can fit in. I have a pretty good outline worked up for it, so I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And and I do appreciate your feedback. the The solo video, the clip video for that, just dropped this week, and there's been several people weighing in, giving their thoughts on that. If you haven't done that, please drop those thoughts in that com in the comment section underneath that video. That would be very, very helpful because it's a way of me getting feedback on on what all of you really want to see. Uh, and he's in the chat, and he is a super champion. Uh, our good friend uh, Jamie Tripp just got his place off the ground, up and running within the past two weeks, I believe. So, uh, Jamie Tripp throw up the location in the in the chat if you could please but test batches our very own Jamie Tripp has his dream project off the ground uh, get over there check out their spot uh, super excited um, just uh, yeah that's uh pretty pretty cool I, I'm, I'm happy for you Jamie and and, and as always you know I, I know you have somebody uh, in house there, but but please hit me up, shoot me a message, man. If there's anything that I can do for you, um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to make a trip to Canada. I was close to Canada recently. I mean, I was on the other side of Niagara, uh, the American side, just recently. But you know, beautiful area. And one last shout out. Listen, when it rains, it pours, ladies and gentlemen. This next gentleman that I'm going to discuss needs no introduction because he is the only two-time guest star star on an Adam Makes Beer uh, live event. The the great and powerful Rockney Van Meter uh, just took home another medal this time from gabf he took home a silver medal in belgian strong ale at this point rock is basically developing severe back issues because don't ask me why he always he's always wearing the medals okay and not just the one he just won but like the the dozen and a half um, like monster awards and then all the others. So he's oftentimes pitching forward. Okay, he actually needs some uh, a supportive uh, a supportive brace to pull his shoulders back because because his shoulders just sag under the weight of all the the, the hardware around this guy's neck. But all nonsense aside, Rock, well done, brother. Tip of the hat to you. Um, you 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 know what you're doing, man. Um, I'm, I'm excited for you. And it's, uh, it's just, it's just an acknowledgement of the fact of, uh, how well you do what you do. So <laughs> I had a cold like a couple of weeks ago, by the way, this, this camera tracking thing, it's literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Okay. 
you see it and it's like moving around a little bit. Like I'm going to come over here and I, th oh wait, maybe. Or if I come over here, what? Oh, see? It's terrible. It's terrible, Kenny. But anyways, yeah, let me, uh, let me check on the chat here real quick. Man, look at everybody in here. Jamie Tripp, good to see you. Peter, Gregory Swanson, I'm a brewery, Charles Miller, Mark Hopkins. Mark Hopkins from across the pond. Mark Hopkins. Dude, just give me a country, man. Let me know where you're from. That's that's interesting. Uh, Trevor, September and June with that beautiful golden star next to his name. Um, yeah, let's see here. <laughs> September and June when it comes to... Uh, have you tried the biofoam, Jamie Tripp, have you tried the biofoam K that Rockney spoke of a few months ago? No, I haven't. Um, that's something that I still want to be playing with. Um, and uh, September might have some some tips in there for you. But yeah, I've only, I've only heard good things about it uh, so far. But um, Jamie, if, if you do end up messing with it, let me know, man. Um, you're, you're in a unique spot kind of with new stuff happening and, uh, yeah, you're, everything's going to be the first time for a while. So when you, if you do try out some experimental stuff with that, it, it should, uh, you can get some cool data in a hurry. So, so let me know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did have, I did have a cold like a couple weeks ago and I, I still have like the, the remnant, you know what I mean? The remnant. Uh, we've got Bruno from Argentina and Mark Hopkins weighing in from Wales, baby. UK. I just had I just had big Josh Halpert over there hiking around uh, hiking around, you know, England. Dude. He, he was hiking around England. He was like some sort of some sort of uh, Shire rat. That's probably not the, the nicest way to say it, but, you know. And I'm probably going to have Big Josh Halpert on here. He agreed, and I don't know if he was if he was several cask pints deep when he was when when he agreed to this at the time. But I asked him. I said, "Please, you know, what do you think about jumping on a live stream with me and just talking about like this trip, this hiking trip through uh, at least a portion of England, uh, hitting up these, uh, hitting up these, uh, you know." Like little cask house places where they can he can get that young sipper, that little three and a half percent bitter on, you know? I'm jealous. So we might have we we might have that coming up. So uh something something to to look forward. And Australia. But I tell you what, between Australia, the UK, Argentina, and the United States, that's all seven continents. Don't question the math. So let's see what's good. I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's it. Let's get down. Let's get down to uh, to business, ladies and gents. Blickman Engineering has been the pioneer of nano brewing, and they have helped hundreds of successful breweries achieve their dreams since they started with one barrel systems in 2006. Now offering a full suite of brew houses, up to 15 barrel skidded and insulated, matching cellaring equipment, keg washers, grain mills, and more sized specifically for the nano brewer. 
Blickman Pro Brewing Systems are competitively priced without sacrificing quality, and the simple design and factory direct support from our brewing experts gets you up and running faster than anything else on the market. When you're ready to go pro or just kicking the tires, be sure to reach out to them for expert advice and a partner to help you through it all. Turn your dreams into a reality by reaching out to Phil, Tom, or Josh at ProSeries at BlickmanEngineering.com. Again, that's ProSeries at BlickmanEngineering.com. Blickman Engineering Pro Brewing is proud to be the equipment sponsor for this channel and is committed to helping every brewer, no matter where they are in their journey. Spooning and Vert has made their first appearance. Que pasa, amigo? I don't know. I can't remember. I, there's not a lot of Spanish I remember. But uh, Andrew, welcome. Ever dry hop with a bunch of Sriracha Ace? Boom. That was a bad one. <laughs> what did you get off of it? I know, uh, I, I know everybody kind of hopes for like a lemongrass kind of thing off that. Uh, Andrew, let me know what you got off your uh, your Sriracha Ace uh, dry hop bomb there. Uh, apparently not not giving you what you wanted. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right. Hey, everybody. You know what? Let me slide back in the chat and uh, and we're going to do it like this. Hailing from Australia. Dude, well, what time is it there? Is it the morning for you? Peter, what are you thinking? Peter in the chat asks, love what you do, Adam. Quick question. Do beer findings affect dry hopping? How important is, I'm guessing you meant to say findings? I've read both sides that prefer to dry hop first and the findings and vice versa. I mean, if you're thinking, if you're thinking American IPA or, you know, uh, uh, beers that are traditionally dry hopped, um, I've always been a fan of finding post dry hop. Um, is it possible to help uh, or, or is it possible to remove uh, some hop character with that? Absolutely. I also think that that is in the this is the advice of the uh, rest his soul uh, Mike McDowell from the Brewing Network. Um, Mike would always call that a that's a that's a recipe issue. If you're filtering or finding a beer and you're worried about losing hop character with it, that's primarily a uh, that's a recipe problem. So all you need to do is kind of increase that volume of hops, and it can sound kind of like a like a silly uh like a silly i don't know kind of meathead way to answer it just add more hops but that's but you know if, if you do feel as if you are losing some character um now i will say that some people when they're making new england beers and they're looking to drop out and and, and get rid of that that maybe some of that hot burn a little bit um people will use biofine um in order to uh it, it won't necessarily knock the haze out of the beer um, but it will it will help to pull some of that polyphenol out, some of that rough, harsh green character that sometimes you can get with hot burn. Um, so something to check out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you can pull a little bit if you are. Um, you know, uh, you can kind of up those a little bit. Um, but I don't think it, it'll it'll really knock it out uh, too much. So, anyways, that's my take on that, Peter. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that answers answers your question oh it's 9 a.m there 
All right. So you're not, uh, it, it's not completely insane. It's not, a, it's not completely insane that, that you're awake listening to a live stream. Uh, Peter, did, did that get everything on your question, brother? And yes, I should be working. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure they'll understand. I'm sure they'll understand. Uh, Andrew, you pulled some, uh, some burnt lemon peel off of that. Uh, was it a really aggressive dry hop, man? I'd be, uh, I'd be interested to know. Peter, you're welcome. You are welcome. All right. Let's jump into the next question. This one comes from Stuart on Instagram. Hey, Adam, hope you're well. Bit of advice. In regards to mash hopping, I have a separate mash and louder ton. Would you recommend throwing the hops into the louder when transferring so I can keep the hops out of the kettle? I was thinking if I add them to the bed of the mash when I transfer to louder, the hops will get too mixed up and may end up in the kettle. Okay. So you have a separate mash and louder ton. So this is new to me because uh, now at Sonder, they also have a separate mash ton and a separate louder ton. So for those of us that are used to the two-in-one vessel, the mash ton will usually have some sort of rakes. Now, maybe it paddles. That might be the better way to explain it. Um, that will help to mix that mash. So it's just the hot water, the strike water, the grain going in, it gets mixed, and then it gets pumped over to the louder ton. And the louder ton will have your rakes, and everything like that and your false bottom. So they're asking, would you recommend throwing the hops into the louder when transferring so I can keep the hops out of the kettle? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you wanted to do uh, like the mash hopping thing, I, I think you could, uh, I think you would have no problem um, throwing them in, maybe just even in the middle of the transfer or toward the end of the transfer of the mash going over to uh, going over to uh, your louder ton. Um, I, I don't think you have to to, to worry too much. I, I think as long as you get it done before your Vorloff, because your Vorloff should help to uh, redistribute that particulate to a point to where they won't be running off to the kettle. Um, I don't think you have a ton to worry about. Um, as far as some hot particulate getting over there, I don't think you should worry too much about, you know, like over extracting polyphenols. That might be a concern by getting just a lot of extra hot matter in there. Um, usually we're not mash hopping that much anyways, but if you are in a situation where, where you're more aggressively mash hopping, maybe you're, you're, you're leaning on some thialized techniques, you know, some techniques that are utilized in, in, in the use of thialized yeast, then yeah, I mean, maybe you will have a good amount of hops in there. Um, but yeah, I would just, I, I would just get them in there as you're, as you're moving it over. And I, and I think as you're transferring, filling, filling the louder, ton, the louder ton, I, I think you would be just fine doing that. So yes, uh, Stuart, thank you for the question. Andrew talking about his uh, burnt lemon peel sriracha ace uh, disaster. He went with four ounces and five gallons, which is a pretty solid, which is a pretty solid dry hop. I think one ounce may have got me what I wanted. 
Um, but I burned that recipe sheet. <laughs> yeah, it could be, man. And, and you know what? Maybe that thing will calm down a little bit too. Um, when you get some of that, maybe when you get some of that dry hop character out of it, maybe, maybe that burnt character may, may come out of there. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Sorry, sorry to hear about that. Live and learn, man. Live and learn. Let's see. Next question. Bro, I'm branded this week. LaCroix, huh? How about that? Moving on up. Next question comes from Scott on Instagram. Adam, I'm an assistant brewer at a small craft brewery. We recently started getting a new lot number of Yakima Chief Citra for our flagship IPA. Unfortunately, it is different enough that the beer suffered. I know hops, even from the same field, can show differences. But this is really drastic from lot to lot. Uh, but is it really that drastic from lot to lot in year to year? We even notice what seems to be a lot more hop creep in this lot, despite keeping our process the same. <coughs> yeah, this is a great question. Um, absolutely. Uh, th those beers can, those, those hops can differ that much. It's not surprising to me. I'm burping like crazy. Yeah, you guys have to, uh, uh, you know, the, the 16 people that are watching, it just plummeted down to two because of the number of times I'm burping. Um, yes, it, it makes sense to me, too, that you could see uh, more hop creep uh, from uh, from different crop years of, of, of the same varietal. And, and yeah, I think you can feel pretty confident if you have hops all of the same lot um in order for that for, for them to perform the same way um and this is one of the tricky things when you do have a flagship beer that's going out for distro different things like that you really have to maintain consistency what i would suggest is going forward um very few of us have the ability to select hops so um, that's not going to be where where I suggest you go with it. I listened to a podcast a while back on craft beer and brewing where they were talking to a German Helles brewer, and he was talking about whatever varietal he was, he was talking about, whatever German grown variety he was talking about. He was talking about that he's essentially blending three different crop years, three different crop years, um, and maybe even more. Um, and, and they're trying to maintain uh, consistency with that. Um, and this isn't something that maybe you, you won't be able to snap your fingers and do immediately. Um, but maybe look at trying to overlap your, your crop years a little bit. So, um, for instance, right now, let's say that you're running on some 2022s and you have some 2023s coming in. Rather than using all the 2022s and then starting up with the 2023s, like overlap them a little bit, and maybe um, maybe you take uh, you know one crop year of citra and the other crop year of citra, and you keep uh, you keep the the crop year you have been using and make that 75% of the the citra that goes into that beer. And then you put 25 of, of the new crop year in. 
the next the, the next time you do a batch you can do 50 50 and then you know 25 75 and and then roll it all the way over that's one way to try to make that transition smoother and the other thing is you can actually just look at building it out that way trying to make it 50 50 of a 2022 and a 2023 um and then just kind of fold it, it, it in like that so that would be some of the suggestions that i have on that um you know, not phasing them out abruptly when you can. I understand that purchasing can be difficult and everything like that, but but that might help to put up a, a little bit of buffer around you as as you start as you start working out through those things. So, yes, uh, Scott, thank you so much for the question. Boy, we've got we've got some more OGs in here. We got Hugh in here. Welcome back, Hugh. Try to get me to say that full name out loud. Hugh is in the house. From, uh, oh, from uh, Southern uh, Ginvani. That sounds like a, sounds like a beautiful area. Uh, bonus question from Peter. What's your go-to hop preference varieties for a dank West Coast IPA? Um, some of the some of the hops that I like for that is I, I think you can go uh, there's there's a range of them. Um, Columbus is always going to get you there. Um, Summit can get you there for for that dank stuff. In, in my mind, I like pairing them up a little bit with Simcoe. Um, I don't know why, um, but uh, help to round that out a little bit. You can also think about uh, Equinot as well. Um, that might be. That might be another one that can give you a little bit of range of Ladank. So yeah, you might want to check those out, Peter. Those are those are some of the ones that I'd recommend for that. Cowboy Brewer in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Andrew. Yeah, uh, Andrew uh, talking about the la one of the last questions. Depending on the beer, you could lean into the difference in the hops and date the release. Uh, untapped folks uh, seem to like that. Yeah, and that's that, that's kind of a different uh, marketing type angle um, to to take with it as well. Um, and uh, and you know, at the end of the day, hops are an agricultural product. Um, and so you know, if if you're on the smaller side. Um, I think it's easier to, to, to ride things like that. Um, but when you're in that situation where maybe, you know, if, if, if you're on store shelves and people are expecting the same thing all the time, it kind of comes down to, to, to what you're, what people ultimately expect from you as a brewery. Next question is from Tahoe on IG. Hello, master. First of all, thank you very much about all fascinating videos. I would ask, why do I get oniony aromas from my New England IPA? My batch size is 12 hectoliters, and they say, sorry about uh, using metric. You don't have to be because I use metric now. Do I know what it means? Like off the top? No. Will I get there? Yes. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've got an idea of what you're saying here. And I use five grams per liter for Whirlpool and eight grams per liter for dry hop. Citra, Mosaic, and Aloha. Barth hops. Uh, it's a Barth Haas 
uh, owned hop. Uh, 13 degrees Celsius for three days for dry hopping. Uh, once a day, I burp the hop hops from the bottom of the fermenter. After dry hop process, I set it down to one degree C and dump the spent hops. Aroma flavor is very satisfying, uh, but after two weeks later, uh, an onion aroma appears slowly. Now the beer is still good for me, but I get an oniony, an oniony aroma, and I don't want to repeat that on the next batch. Thank you very much. Well, Tahoe, I, I think a, a, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people r run into stuff like this, and one of the things that I would suggest is um, maybe uh, cutting back that dry hop time. There's a lot of different ways to slice it, and there's a lot of different variables, and I'm not going to pretend like there aren't, but um, the first thing I'm going to recommend you to try is actually reducing that dry hop contact time. Some of the work that uh, Scott Janish has done in the new IPA and some interviews that I've listened to with Vinny Chalerzo from Russian River and some other baller baller IPA brewers. They do discuss wanting to limit that amount of time. And, and especially when it comes to uh, some New Zealand varieties, you're, you're not uh, talking about any right here. Um, because citron mosaic aren't aren't from there, but um, but maybe trimming back uh, some of that contact time. Um, it seems as if sometimes the extended contact time can get you some of the aromatics that you are not looking for. Some of that oniony vegetable or uh, oniony garlicky danky dank uh, type stuff. Um, that would be one of the first things uh, that I suggest. Um, that you try when trying to uh, to, to sort that out. Um, and yeah, man, I, I don't think that's, this is one of those things that I would take step by step. All right. I, I would reduce dry hop time, uh, maybe, maybe in half um, and kind of see, kind of see where you get from there. Um, and then, yeah, maybe looking at, uh, because I know, I mean, different people do so many different things. Some people will will say at a certain point that rousing can help to to give you some uh, some unpleasant uh, hop character off of it. So that's step one, why I'd say for you, go ahead and give that a shot and and see if that makes an improvement on your next batch. So Tahoe, thank you for the question, sir. Let's get a little drinky drink. Next question is from Will on Instagram. Last question, I promise, LOL. What would, would you use this as a replacement to cocoa nibs or can it be used in tandem with nibs? I have a bourbon barrel-aged imperial stout that we're planning on releasing in December, and I want it to be super chocolatey. The beer is still in barrels, planning on transferring to Bright's in early December. 
Um, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of talked about a few things, some ways that you can uh, push up that chocolate impression on a beer like this. Um, obviously, we're, we're, we're talking about we're talking about nibs. I think nibs are a good option. Um, I would like to, especially if you're going to be using them on the cold side like that, I would like to roast them up a little, get a nice thin layer of them if you can on some sheet pans um, and, and get a little bake on them until they kind of uh, open up and become more aromatic. Um, it might help a little bit on the sanitation side of things. Um, but also it might, it might, you know, help to open up those cocoa nibs a little bit and get some of those flavors and aromas a little bit easier to, uh, extract into your beer. I would also say that cocoa powder can work as well. Um, cocoa powder is another good way to layer in chocolate flavor. And then the third thing I would suggest is a high quality TTB approved uh, chocolate extract um, because sometimes that can be one of those final little things to help lift the nose. Again, I'm a huge proponent of using the real thing and then feathering behind it with a little bit of high quality TTB approved extract. I think that's probably the best way to be stacking up those chocolate flair, flavors, those chocolate layers in, in a big, rich, barrel age imperial stout like that uh, i know we've been doing some some barrel age stout blending stuff over at sonder the place has been smelling great uh jeff has been over there uh doing his thing and and, and getting some of those beers into bottles because i believe sonder has uh, a couple of a couple of sales uh, or a couple of releases around uh, just after Thanksgiving, so getting into Christmas season. And also tomorrow, I'm going to be uh, doing a, a big uh, a big first runnings beer, a big double mash uh, Imperial Auto, the, uh, the Imperial Stout from, uh, from Sonder we're going to be brewing tomorrow. So I'm in early tomorrow. I'm in at five, and it's going to be a long one. So I, the, re the only reason I'm saying that is, is I don't know... Uh, we're going to try to bang these questions out. You know what I mean? But yes. So, uh, Will, uh, that is what my recommendation would be on stacking up chocolate flavor in that barrel-aged Imperial Stout of yours. Next question comes from Chris Palmer on Facebook. How important is a mash out at a home brewer scale? I run a Blickman Easy, uh, Brew Easy, 10k rims it's not really uh set up to do mash out so i don't um i say um that if you are getting uh, an appropriate uh if you are getting enough efficiency to make it worthwhile to make beer uh don't be sweating don't be sweating your mash out there, there's different things going on with the mash out so first of all it is uh raising uh it is raising the temperature of the mash bed um, for when you are running off into the kettle, when you are casting. I know you wouldn't be casting out at that point. You're you're loudering. Um, you're loudering over to the kettle. Um, those higher temperatures will make that viscous wort more uh, flowable 
it'll 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 run off more easily you can it, it will happen faster um you will see uh you can see an increase in efficiency your your capacity of extracting sugar out of your grain so that's cool um that's all good stuff but if you're making five ten gallons of beer at home and your efficiency numbers are good enough now if you're getting some really weird efficiency numbers you know, really down south of 70%, depending on, you know, how much grain you're putting into your mash tun, all that stuff. But um, I don't think you must do a mash out, um, you know, for a lot of a, a lot of uh, single infusion boys out there, single infusion boys and girls out there. Um, you know, a lot of award winning uh, beer has been made with with single infusion. Now, uh, you know, it's not quite a mash out step, but oftentimes we do sparge with warmer water um, than than what we would uh, typically uh, warmer than our mash rest temp, right? Um, because that will help facilitate the rinsing of those sugars. But I, I don't think it's really going to be anything that that that's a do or die for the quality of your beer. We're primarily probably looking at um, maybe a some some process uh, efficiencies. Um, as far as being able to extract more sugar and, and maybe get um, a little bit smoother, louder. But other than that, I think that's kind of the deal. So thanks for your question, Chris Palma. Okay, Beer Coin Nation, by the way, welcome to the chat, ma'am. Uh, he says, I use a brew easy and to mash out, I have to use a separate vessel for a sparge at 170 degrees for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Bondi Beach Beer on YouTube. Hey, Adam, you legend. At what stage would you water back your beer after you have acidified it? Just after knockout, if later in fermentation would it introduce dissolved oxygen, is there a sweet spot a few days in? All right. So what I would recommend that you do is I would recommend that you go ahead and completely ferment out uh, that, uh, that beer. Um, so you would take your higher gravity lager. So let's say uh, I'll try to make some clean numbers here, at least clean in, in my mind. Um, so if you wanted to make, uh, I'm going to butcher this. The math is going to be terrible, but don't hate me. Think, think about the big, think about the big picture that, that I'm going to be talking about here. So uh, say you have, uh, you know, 10 barrels of, uh, 10 barrels of a higher gravity lager that you want to water back. And say you really want the beer to basically be like a 1040 or like a 10 Plato, uh, 10 Plato beer. Um, maybe you brew it up to 1060. All right. So you brew it a third stronger. So that would mean you would need a third more water to dilute with. So if you're on a 15 barrel system, you know, you would take, uh, you would make 10 barrels of that, of that higher gravity lager wort and ferment that out completely, uh, get it past diacetyl, get the yeast off of it, get, you know, get it cold, get the yeast off of it, everything like that. And then what I would do is, is I would 
take your final measurements on that beer so you know exactly where you're resting. And then I would run water, filtered water, into your kettle. I would give it a boil. And then uh, I would probably adjust pH down with either phosphoric acid or lactic acid to the same pH of the beer um, that you are going to be blending. So the same final pH. Um, and you would probably want to uh, get a, a little bit of uh, calcium, a little bit of chloride, and maybe even a little bit of gypsum in there too. Um, something that would be uh, barrel per barrel what you would normally be doing uh, with, with the base beer recipe as well. Um, I would give that a little flash boil, and then I would run that into a sanitized bright tank, um, cooling it, obviously, through the heat exchanger, um, getting that carved up to the level that you want the other beer to be in, and then you could probably rack in on top of that. You want to be very careful to be checking your volumes, both of beer and de-aerated water. That is the idea here is that you are taking water, boiling any oxygen out of it, and then cooling it off, getting it carved. So you're essentially just making carbonated water, de-aerated carbonated water. And yeah, I would also recommend that you do not run O2 through your heat exchanger because oftentimes we're running O2 after that wort is cold. It is a great time to hook up CO2 to that uh, to that uh, O2 stone though, and to be blasting some gas through there um, to help you know to further help scrub. Uh, remember that bright tank you're going into, or that tank that you're going to be filling with filling with deaerated water. You also want to have that purged as well. Um, but that's a good way to do that. Um, you could put it into a separate tank and then take measured amounts over into another tank. That, that's your call. But that's that's how I would handle uh, cutting a beer with deaerated water. Uh, Bondi Beach Beer. Hopefully you like my answer. Hey, thanks for calling me a legend, man. I appreciate it. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't hurt my feelings. I also think that I hear it in your accent um, when I read it. I feel like I'm hearing an Australian accent. And I do believe you're Australian. But if you're not, I apologize. I just, there's only so much I can do. I try my best. But Bondi, thanks for the question. Matthew Brown on YouTube, very good. As a home brewer, would you like to use damsons like plums? Would you cook the fruit first? Mash temp. 68 degrees and we are talking we are talking metric right here now folks so this is a comment that was left under i i and maybe it shouldn't surprise me but it is one of the most popular videos that we've done it was one of the early fruit beer brew days that we did and um it has some good stuff in there um it's 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 interesting it's interesting to me to go back and just see the videos that i've put up the thumbnails how they're different, how things have changed, uh, you know, whether or not I'm more comfortable now or then on camera, who knows, but, uh, but yeah, so, so anyways, um, but this is, this is in, re this is in relation to uh, the, the fruit beer brew day. Um, I'm using in those videos, I'm using uh, pasteurized uh, fruit, or semi-sterile fruit puree, pasteurized fruit puree, 
from, you know, whether that be Oregon fruit uh, or fierce fruit or aseptic purees, whoever you like. Um, So they're talking about processing fruit. And so one of the things, especially if you're if you're talking about on a smaller scale like homebrew, I I think that there is some I think that there are some interesting ways to go. So let's let's look at it a couple ways like this. If you have access to a, uh, and sometimes homebrewers are into other things like this. So if you have access to sous vide, it might be an interesting oper- uh, opportunity to uh, take something like plums, process them up a little bit, put them in a vacuum sealer, and then uh, get them get them into a sous vide style recirculation cooker, and maybe look at keeping the temperature um, like not crazy, like crazy, crazy high, um, and then find out how long you need to hold that at temp in order for it to be pasteurized. So dig into some charts that you can find online. The reason that I'm suggesting something like this is um, you may end up being able to prevent some of like the really heavily cooked fruit flavors if you don't mind a cooked fruit flavor and something like that, then I would recommend breaking the fruit down, processing it down, and then getting a light simmer on it, um, you know, and then getting that cooler um, into a fermenter and then maybe racking on top of it. Um, you would want to purge that vessel. Maybe you add it right to the fermentation vessel. I'm not sure exactly what you're working with as far as a fermenter goes. But if you are using a secondary fermentation vessel, um, you would want to sanitize that as normal, purge it as well as you can with CO2, uh, get your fruit in, purge it again because I'm a maniac and maybe you could just do it once, but purge it again and then get your beer racked on there. So we'll see. You might be able to make the argument that, well, um, you know, the, uh, the, the fermentation uh, that kicks back up when you ferment out that fruit will take care of the oxygen. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I, I think that's a little presumptive. Um, and I don't mean to sound, uh, I don't know, I feel like I sound a little, a little sassy right there. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes I, I don't know. It's better, better safe than sorry in, in, in my mind. So you're, you're better off purging vessels if, if you're going to do something like that. But if you want to try to uh, prevent like, a, like a, a heavily cooked flavor of the fruit and maintain some more of the freshness, maybe looking at a sous vide technique and, and at a lower temperature for a little bit longer um, and play around with that a little bit, that might be uh, an interesting answer as well. So anyways, hope that helps you out, Matthew Brown. And Andrew has uh, had good luck, good luck using frozen fruit as well. Uh, he's thinking it's normally pasteurized before freezing. So yeah, I like that too. And, and the, the plus side of freezing is you'll oftentimes, uh, the freezing process will actually burst those cell walls and they'll be a little bit juicier and easier to extract. Um, so yeah, that can be, that can be a, a, another, another plus. Dude, we have more and more metric people in here. We've got, but listen. I think if we've figured out anything, we know that I speak the international language of love, okay? I think you can feel it through the 
the solar system right now. I mean, it's what's, it's what keeps people coming back. You know what I mean? So we're going global. Of the 19 people in the chat, like at least a quarter of them are outside the United States of America. So I want to, I want to come to your location and and give a talk on beer. Let me know. Let me know if you want to fly me and my wife out. <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of. Next question comes from Zen on YouTube. And here I am trying to brew a beer with hot burn, but never managed to do. LOL, how on earth do you do that? Zen, I'm glad you asked. It's a little atypical. I mean, most times people are looking looking to get rid of uh, hot burn in a beer. A lot of times people find hot burn to be just that kind of a, a, a harsh, green um, kind of uh, kind of arcs into like a, kind of a like this faux bitterness or this harshness on the palate. I even find it to actually be even uh, actually even a little bit of like a mouthfeel tactile thing is probably more than likely like a polyphenol thing that is due to a lot of hops being uh, used in the process of creating specifically something like New England style IPA. So what I would do is, man, I, I would thump up that dry hop. Uh, the first thing I would do uh, for you, if you are trying to get a beer uh, that uh, that has hot burn, I would look at uh, stepping up the volume of your dry hop. And there are some wild numbers out there. I'm not saying that you have to or that you need to, but there are people out there, some of those hot boy hazy breweries out there are dry hopping anywhere between four to eight pounds per barrel. Yeah, I said it, four to eight pounds per barrel. It's insane. It's wild. But that should give you uh, a pretty fat polyphenol load um, that you would uh, that would carry some hop creep. I would also look at uh, getting rid of any of your fining agents that you might use on the cold side. Um, reason being, Scott Janish's book, New IPA, does reference using something like Biofine in order to remove, help to pull out hot burn from beers like that. Um, so if you're looking to keep it in, don't find. And then the last thing I would suggest is drink it as fast as possible. The longer that beer sits, the more that character is going to settle out of the beer. And yeah. Todd Porter, fat polyphenol IPA. I'm all for it. <laughs> Did I say fat polyphenol during the thing? Sometimes when I start talking, I don't know what I'm saying. And uh, yeah. So <laughs> what's up, Todd? Uh, Andrew. Oh, Andrew uh, says, Adam, thanks for the advice on going with blackberries and my Berliner Weiss. It was awesome. I'm super glad to hear it, dude. Uh, full, full, uh, full disclosure, I don't remember that conversation, but I get uh, some of this teasing me. Uh, I was hanging out with some friends and there was a, there was a younger person that puts, uh, you know, the younger people 
they tend to put a little stock in uh, your number of Instagram followers. And so sometimes I get teased by younger people because I have close to 4,000 Instagram followers. They feel like, I, I think they're kind of teasing me because it's not that many, but it's more than like just like a normal human being would have, like what a normal 46-year-old man would have. And so um, they they like to make fun of me um, about that. But the reality is, is I do get quite a few questions coming into the DMs. And so I don't always, I don't always remember uh, who I talk to and what I what I recommend. I do re- I, obviously I do recognize the, the the names here in the the chat and everything like that. But so, sometimes it's just hard to connect who had who had what question. But uh, I'm glad the uh, the Blackberries got you there, man. That's that's awesome. Next question comes from Alex Siegel on YouTube. Have to ask why you are spraying isopropyl alcohol into places where the product touches. Is there already trace isopropyl in the product so it doesn't matter? Aside from cost, why not use organic ethanol? I think most people that are using alcohol for sanitizing um, are uh, are using isopropyl. Um, on one side, it, it might be a cost thing, and I should say 70% uh, isopropyl. Um, it is important to use, from my understanding, it is important to use the diluted 70% as opposed to 99. Sometimes you think 99 is going to get me there. It's stronger. But it actually, uh, to my understanding, it actually needs that water, that 30% water in there. That water actually ha- helps to act as a catalyst to break down cell walls of, of, of the bad, of the baddies that, that you don't want in your beer. Not baddies as in like uh, the way the talk- rappers talk about ladies, but uh, baddies as in beer spoilage organisms. But, uh, but yeah, um, actually right now, uh, at Sonder, we use uh, we just use organic ethanol, um, so we 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 do that as well. Um, so I have done both things, um, and yeah. So that's the that's the take on that, my man Alex. I appreciate the question about that sanitizing alcohol. Brian. Lysitra, I'm not super sensitive to diacetyl. Is there a way to test for it chemically? It's a really good question. Um, I do know, I think with a gas chromatograph or with, um, what's the other one? There's another fancy lab thing. You can actually get hard numbers on on, uh, diacetyl VDK um, in your beers. as as far as like a bench test, as far as droppers and and different things like that, I'm not sure that there is. I'd be really interested to know if there is. I don't think there is. But what I would recommend is um, I would recommend just trying to work on it too. I don't know if it's working. Oh, good. All right, I've got this weird link between. Uh, is it back on? Do you see me? Let me know if you see me. 
but yeah, I, I would recommend. Well, actually, before I jump back in, let me let me see. Give me. Okay, yeah, I'm live. Okay, cool. Yeah, my I, I'm I actually use my phone camera, and my phone is like weirdly linked somehow with my wife's phone, and then a call came in, and yeah. Anyway, so it, it froze me for a second, but I, I think we're good. Um. Oh yeah, we were talking about um, testing. I, I would actually look at getting um, a, a sensory uh, test for that, um, and get a really light beer, and just start just start dosing it to whatever ppm when you can start smelling it. It's my understanding. I, I don't remember if it's million or billion, but it's parts per one of those. You'll be able to figure it out. Um, and I think fifty is the threshold. So. Um, start dosing up to the point to where you can, and then like, keep coming back to it and like go less and less and less. Right. Um, every time you come back to it. So actually try to like, actually try to like build that muscle. Right. Uh, my wife, she's very sweet. Thank you, honey. Got a little. Got a little. Little Java, uh, she's the best. The, the, this is the only time in the month where I use this mug. By the way, is when I'm is when I'm live streaming. Um, also, at some point, I'm gonna try to work on. I maybe want to um, do like some T-shirts, some Adam make beers, uh, makes beer T-shirts. So I, I might get like a little bit of a merch store up. Um, and one of the things I'm interested to find out is, um, if I put, if I put the brew daddy mug, if I sold one brew daddy mug, it would make me laugh very, very hard. So anyways, we'll, we'll see. There may be, uh, there may be a bit of a merch store, uh, popping up here, um, maybe before Christmas, who knows? But, uh, yeah, all, all that said, um, that Brian, that's what I would be doing with, with the with the uh with the diacetyl question is actually try to like actually try to get better at it right and i'm not like calling you out or something but do think about it sometimes we're just blind to things a little bit but sometimes we just need reps with it and and challenge yourself to try to be able to pull it at lower and lower levels and then maybe you can maybe you can uh maybe you can actually build that diacetyl muscle that way all right Appreciate the question, brother. Next question is from Randolph. Is this the face she makes when she sees your heat X run clear after CIP? That was the question <laughs> that somebody asked when they saw that hack job of a thumbnail that's going on this video. Uh, it's topical. It's timely. It's uh, Taylor Swift uh, fanning out on... Uh, on Travis Kelsey, she's at the football game and she's cheering. And then I just took the grossest Photoshop of my head ever and slapped it on her lady friend that was next to her. Um, but that was his that was his joke right there, Randolph. That was funny. Also, have you dealt with any imposter syndrome in your new gig? Um. Well, I mean, yeah, man, I. I think so. Um, have I dealt with imposter syndrome? 
So this brewery is very different from any other brewery that I've worked in. Um, you know, the, the brew house is automated. Um, this is the first time where, um, you know, primarily I've been making my own beers. And so something that's really important to me at Sonder is, is like, I want to, obviously I want to know how to operate, you know, the, the different style of equipment, the automated equipment and understand all that. But I also like, I do, I don't want to just know that I hit this button here and this button there. Like I actually want to like understand what he's doing as a brewer, like how he thinks as a brewer and how he sees the process and how he wants to approach things. Because I think it's an important part of my role to make sure that me and anybody else that is producing beer in that brewery would be carrying out those processes as if Chase himself were doing it because it's his brewery. Um, so have I had any imposter syndrome? Yeah, man. Um, I am learning, uh, the, the brew house right now. Um, and I personally wish that it was, uh, I personally wish that I was learning it a little bit faster than I am. Um, but it'll come, you know, I've been doing it for, you know, I've been doing it professionally for, for, you know, 12, 13 years. And, and I've worked on a lot of different brew houses. It is one of those things though, that like, and I don't want to go quite as far as say, like, cause you know, like when you're in a new environment, you can feel like a little bit like unsure of yourself. Um, and like, not as, cause like when it's your shop, like it is, you just make the decision and do it right. Like, so when little things pop up, like I know what I would do, but I also want to know what they do. Right. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I do wish, um, that, uh, I was picking up things a little bit quicker on the brew house. Um, but it'll come, um, it is, uh, it is a little, a little humbling. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a little imposter syndrome. Anytime you move into a new role, uh, especially one that is, uh, bigger, um, and, uh, and you have more people, uh, ultimately, you know, that you're responsible for and, um, you know, won't want to help. Uh, so yeah, I have struggled with that a little bit. Next question. Thank you, Randolph for the question. Uh, I'm a brewery on Instagram. Hey, Adam. Oh, I should have started all over because it'll make it easier to edit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, but VT Mongoose, welcome, uh, brother, by the way. And um, yeah, uh, the Siebel off-flavor kits are, are pretty baller from what I understand. Um, oh, uh, Beer Coin Nation, question you told me, the guy, uh, one of the OG guys at Founders, Nate Walser, um, he... Uh, uh, Nate Walter is the owner of um, Grayline Brewing Company in Grand Rapids. If, if you get a chance to go over to Grand Rapids, uh, some of the finest beers in the greater Grand Rapids area. I, I absolutely love Nate. Uh, Nate helped me out at a very tough point in my life with with uh, with employment whenever I needed it, and uh, I just I, I just think a lot of him. 
um, and, and will always be grateful. So please go ahead and check out uh, Grayline uh, over in Grand Rapids. Um, but let's uh, let's get back to let's get back to this question right here. Hey, Adam, cheers for all your educational videos. I have noticed foaming issues during bottling. Foam is either too slow or too fast when the bottle is released from the filler. What should I do to fix this problem? How much CO2 pressure should I apply to the bright tank during bottling? Or is it an indicator of something else? Thanks in advance. Um, here's a little more background on it. So it's a manual forehead filler that should be running 300 bottles per hour, but I'm getting around 200 to 250. That's brother. That's what that's what it always is. I, that's that's no that's no shame on your side. The beer is coming out at gosh four degrees C. Okay, four degrees C, and once inside goes up to six to seven. The line is 3.6 meters long and fully insulated. So that's good. I did have some questions on that. I'm carving at uh, 1.1 bar and then bottling. Uh, I apply 1.2 bar head pressure. Okay. So your head pressure is, is higher than the carb that you actually have on the beer. Um, so first of all, let me let me pull up a because this temperature thing is uh, is an important, and so you are at four. Okay, so that's thirty nine degrees, brother. Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I would say here. There's your issue right there. Let, let's run down a laundry list. All right. So uh, just a couple of things. One of the most important things when we're talking about carbonation with a beer and packaging a beer is temperature, okay? So the warmer that beer is, the more that CO2 is, is wants to break out of solution. The problem is sometimes it's tough getting beer as cold as you want it. Um, I would really recommend... Um, and, uh, you know, the closer you can get to one degree, uh, or zero degrees, uh, 34 degrees or under, if you're Fahrenheit, um, you know, one to zero degrees, uh, Celsius, let me run that. I mean, even two degrees Celsius, 30, 35.6, that's starting to get on the warmer side. Um, it can be tough if you can get that thing colder. Uh, you you really should. It's going to hold it, that that gas is not going to want to flee solution as readily as it does at that warmer temperature. Now you will also need to reduce the amount of uh, carb that you get in that beer and the head pressure that you have on that. Okay, so you're going to want to. Um, scale that down appropriately, look up a forest carbonation chart um, and, and, and look at what you want to be hitting. Um, just just as a side note, um, if you are if you're a lot of times bottlers like this, they can really only handle up to two, 2.6 to 2.7 volumes of CO2 and maybe even up at 2.7 they start getting fussy. So um, that's what I would do. If you can get colder, that's number one. But kind of running down the list on other things that I would want to look at is you want cold beer 
you want it moving in at an appropriate rate. And by appropriate rate, I mean that there's more head pressure on the tank than there is uh, pressure of CO2 in the beer or volumes of CO2 in the beer. So if your if your beer is stable uh, from a carbonation standpoint at 10 PSI or 11 PSI, you're going to want to be pushing above that because most fillers will require that in the first place. And also, if you're dropping that head pressure, you're already going to start uh, losing carb in that beer and you're going to start getting foaming in the tank um, as soon as you change that pressure differential. So anyways, that's one thing. You did mention that you're looking at uh, a situation where everything is uh, insulated all the way through up to up to the filler. That's very important because you can get breakout in your lines. You may also notice that if you have to stop to fix something, you know, something is jammed, whatever, 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 you're getting low fills. Um, if you are just leaving beer in the line between uh, the tank and the filler, you might have to actually purge that beer out because you might have breakout in there and then you're going to get really foamy bottles on that first one. You're better off purging that line out with cold beer again and then starting to fill. Um, those are some of your options. Um, and I would say some of the some of the most pressing ones, and especially since we uh, talked about uh, the temperature of that beer um, and, and I ran the, and I actually crunched the number. I, I think that's the biggest thing that you want to be looking at right there. So that would be my take on it. Uh, thank you so much. I am a brewery for your question. Oh, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to deep sigh. Hold on. Let's, let's do this. Hey, I want to thank everybody for for joining us tonight. It's it's good to see you all out here. We're moving into uh, we've we've had some messages retracted tonight. I don't even know what that means. Cowboy Brewer, colder, indeed. Harvey, Harvey Wallbanger. First time I've seen you in here. I think Harvey, welcome. Uh, Speaking of cold, newbie question. This is from Harvey Wallbanger. Recipes that call for three days dry hop and two days cold crash. Should dry hops be removed before a cold crash? Oxidation risk. Uh, depends on your it depends on your scale, man, and and uh, if you're able to do closed transfers and stuff like that. If you have a conical situation and you can drop those hops off off of there, I'm a fan of getting them off uh, sooner than later. So yeah, that's that's kind of my kind of my take on that. If you if you're looking at transferring from one fermenter to another at home, gosh, that gets tough. Uh, you'd want it to be fully purged if you can. Maybe a pressure transfer if you have vessels that can handle it. Obviously, glass is not good for that. I don't even know if anybody's using glass at home anymore. Anyways, that's what I would use because I'm old school. But yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Holly, welcome, welcome. Uh, the firm Zilla. Uh, I'm not super familiar with that, but if you do have uh, the capacity to do like a like a pressure transfer out of that or a semi closed transfer, uh, maybe into uh, maybe into a corny at that point, that might be a good way to go. And by the way, you just heard me. You just heard my Tom Haverford singing. Um, big Big Rig Josh and Maggie always used to tell me that uh, that if I was anybody in Parks and Rec, that I would have been. 
a mix of Tom Haverford and Jean Ralphio. And I wanted to know why they picked the two pervious guys. And then they said it's because I'm silly and because I sing like that. But then also they said they forgot Andy is in the show and that I would be mostly Andy and a little bit of the other two guys. So whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can do it with glass carboys, man. Um, and uh, currently cold crash solid for push with gas into keg. Yeah, I, I would I, I would do something like that. I think so. But yeah, I, I would I would try to get them. I would try to get them cold sooner and then try to get them off there. That would be that might be my take, brother. Uh, next question is from Unable on YouTube. Hello, my heat exchanger recently started leaking gray water when I run CIP on it. Any thoughts? Yes. I think uh, you probably have some compromised gaskets, my man, my friend. I know people have different takes on this. And I had people give uh, some different feedback because just recently we were talking about what I pack my heat exchanger with. Check out Adam Makes Beer on YouTube. And you'll find the little cl clip it snippet from last live stream, I believe, where we were talking about what I pack, uh, how I leave my heat exchanger packed. Some people are saying things like, oh, they let their heat exchanger air dry. Um, I'm skeptical whether or not you can get your heat exchanger to air dry. Uh, there's a lot of nooks and crannies, a lot of crevices, um, and maybe it does air dry, um, but I don't know. Maybe you can blow enough CO2 through it to to blast it out. I feel like you're always going to have something in there, um, and and some some nice clean water seem seems just fine uh, for for you know before you you run sani on it before your next brew. But I've heard from plenty of people. Um, that they say they they leave theirs packed with acid, they leave it packed with caustic. That's fine, um, but uh, I do know that there are some chemical folks out there that I've talked to um, that said you don't wanna do that. Uh, specifically, some of the acids uh, can be rough on those gaskets. But if you are in the situation where your heat exchanger is leaking like that, yeah, you, you wanna break that thing down, give it a full clean and get your gaskets replaced. I would recommend to uh, try to pull up a YouTube video on that. And uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there. I will say this, if we do get to a point where we break down a heat X at Sonder, or if I have an opportunity to be a part of a heat X breakdown, I will definitely make a tutorial video on it. Um, but yeah, you, you wanna get that thing taken care of. Uh, you wanna get it pulled apart, the plates cleaned, um, the appropriate gaskets for it, the appropriate glue. Um, there, it's it's a whole routine. It's a whole routine. It has to be, um, you know, tightened the same amount and in a certain way. So, um, yeah, I would do some I would do some digging online for that. And uh, but that's that's probably what you're going to want to do. You do not want gray stuff leaking out of that boy, out of that out of that metal sandwich. That's what I'm calling it from now on, the metal sandwich. Thanks for the question, unable. Next question is from Blockbuster Brewing on Instagram. How do you clean your smalls like gaskets, valves, etc.? Do you just soak them or do you soak and scrub every single piece? It takes forever, but I've been hand washing, scrubbing each piece after soaking. Thanks. 
I have found that if you get them uh, pretty clean in the first place, uh, a good hot PBW soak in a the little brute tub, which I've used, uh, I was using over at Cartridge. Uh, that's great. I've worked places where we've utilized a three compartment sink for hot soaks, uh, overnight soaks, and then rinse in the morning. Um, do looking at them and making sure that they're not holding soil. If they are, you can do another soak on them or hand detail. But what we are using at Sonder, which is very, very fancy, is a clean out-of-place pot. Um, it is all pumped up, and you can circulate it. You can run caustic acid and parasitic acid on it as a sanitizer. And ladies and gentlemen, it's excellent. I'm going to... Uh... All right, I'm back. Same issue. Same issue. All right. Anyways, we'll 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 get it figured out. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm probably going to uh, if it all checks out, I'm probably going to do a tutorial video on that coming up. Um, maybe one of the times where I'm done working and uh, you know we're basically done in the brewery and I've got to hang out for a little bit. Maybe I can shoot some stuff around then. I think that would be. That would be great, but it's super useful um, because you can actually circulate chemical throughout the whole, throughout the whole, like it look, kind of looks like a fancy, uh, you know, multi-compartment sink, even though it's just one basin, but it's, it's very cool. Very cool. Um, so thank you for the question, Blockbuster. Next question is from Joel Martin on Facebook. With the advancement of strains like Philly Sour, do you think a brewery with a small amount of tanks, like two, can risk using one for sour production when using proper cleaning sanitizing SOPs? I've listened to a lot of older podcasts that emphasize using a dedicated tank and equipment for sours so there is no cross-contamination. Not saying I'm going to brew a sour, but just in case my willpower to hold out fades, what are my risks? All right, so first of all, um, the older podcasts that you are talking about are referencing uh, things like uh, lactobacillus, uh, Britannomyces, uh, maybe even there's some PDO in some of those blends. Um, sometimes you'll you'll see those and things like that. Um, yeah, that stuff you you kind of want dedicated tanks for. I know there's people that are bold enough to swap out. Uh, to swap out softs on those and to use separate hoses, um, but different softs, different valves, different, uh, uh, anytime you have a soft, you know, like a gasket type material, you would leave that specifically for, for sour use. Um, I think that's a good idea. You, you should definitely, you know, try to keep those things separate in my mind. Um, when you're using those, those hardcore uh, beer spoilage organisms, but the one of the primary selling points of Philly Sour is is you can use it on the clean side and don't have to worry about it. It is fundamentally different than those other uh, those other uh, souring type yeasts uh, that I mentioned before. Um, it will create a light tart lactic type uh, tartness acidity. Um, but it is not as assertive as, as some other things. Um, I've done some other videos 
um, and dig into that a little bit. Search Adam Makes Beer in Philly Sour. Um, I actually have a full brew day on making uh, kind of a fruited lactose uh, beer with tart beer with Philly Sour. Um, and I have some other short take videos on that as well as far as maximizing uh, getting the most out of the acid production from using uh, Philly Sour as a yeast. Um, and yeah, and don't be afraid to uh, get the majority of your acid from there. And if you need to enhance it a little bit on the backside at packaging with a little bit of uh, pre-dosed out lactic acid, that might help to bump up and lift up a little bit. But to get back to the original question, you can use Philly Sour, um, which is at its base a Lachancia uh, type uh, strain, yeast strain, um, that's particular to the production of lactic acid. And uh, without having to worry about uh, making your clean tanks non-clean. So yeah, check it out. Do a little digging on that. Uh, hit up some of those videos. Um, and we might even have some more uh, questions answered for you. Thanks a lot for the question, Joel. Peter, that's not any issue. Any issue is not throw more hops at it. Sometimes that is the answer. Most times it's not. Uh, next question uh, from William Maldonado on LinkedIn. Brew fads to close out the year. What is to come? Uh I mean, here's the deal. And I think you see, uh, I mean, you have to kind of look at what's going on, uh, on the coast. Um, I think uh, West Coast, best coast. Just ask Tupac. Um, Tupac's back in the news. How's that a thing? Um, roof ads. I, I think you're going to see uh, more and more loggers popping off. I know you're seeing more side pull handles, more milk pours, um, different things like that. People getting a little fancier with their pouring styles for lager. Uh, from a process side, I think you're going to see more and more people spooning uh, their beers. Um, I'm learning a lot about uh, spunding right now, um, which is which is really exciting. And we might have to update some of the the, the spunding stuff that we've been talking about uh, over the last year. But um, I think you're going to see uh, some more and more uh, German-inspired lagers. Um, and uh, but subbing in American hops in place of some of the traditional continental hops. Um, I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with that at all. I'm not saying that you need to be turning those beers into IPA or anything like that, but using the same using the same level of uh, uh, the same light hand that you would find in 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 Hellas or you know, Dortmunder or different things like that. You know, I, I don't, there, there's, there's nothing, you know, morally wrong. I mean, to say they're super traditional German, I don't think it's the right thing, but, um, but yeah, to, to make a, make a nice little crispy boy and then fold in some, some American hops and, and even some, uh, some American hops that are maybe noble inspired, but American grown. So they're kind of a nice crossover. So, um, but yeah, I think you're going to see more and more American. I think you see more and more lagers and more and more American hopped uh, lagers kind of kind of rolling on through because people want drinkable stuff, man. Uh, look at all the high noon that's being drank out there. I mean, it's 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 crazy. So look at all the seltzer and all that stuff. So anyways, that's my hot takes. William, appreciate the question.
Peter, does absorbic acid add bitterness after fermentation when used to scrub oxygen? I'm also interested if it can be used to add bitterness intentionally post-ferment if you need an extra boost. Um, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to dig on that. Um, Peter, if you don't mind actually copying and pasting that question and then uh, going into the actual video, um, this actual video and putting that in the comments, because that's where I pull all my questions from. Really, uh, I want to dig on that um, because I don't know a ton about that and I want to find out more. So copy and paste that in there. And then next month, it'll be it'll be on the list. Um, but if if you do want to know the the trick for uh, boosting post ferment, uh, look up uh, Tetra uh, Tetra hot product. Um, if you're brewing on the home side, the volumes might not be available to you. Uh, but Tetra uh, hot product is nice because it's flowable. It can be added to cold beer as you're transferring into a bright or into a keg, and you need very little in it to increase foam stability and to increase bitterness in the beer. Um, it's my understanding that maybe the bitterness character will smooth out after a little bit of time. Maybe some people, to me, it's been a little metallic up front and then it kind of goes away or a little firm up front or a little sharp. And then that that fades after a couple of days. But but anyways, but yeah, post that question back out there and then I'll, I'll, I'll add it to uh, to your things. Uh, beer coination, traditional Kreisen lagers, uh, lagers, uh, no adjuncts. Yeah, that could be a thing too, brother. Wouldn't be, wouldn't, wouldn't be mad, wouldn't be mad about that. Yeah, and, and I think you are seeing a lot of people jump back in on this, on this lager train and trying to incorporate many as many traditional practices as you can. So, yeah. Um, our Ari slide on Reddit. Hello. I'm restarting home brewing, and I have noticed no matter the style I've made, there is the same undercurrent taste that is there in both of the beers I've made and homebrew I've drank from others. Is this the dreaded homebrew flavor people talk about? How do I get rid of it? First of all, sometimes people say homebrew flavor is extract and that all beer that is made with extract stinks. Um, that's not the case. I think there is a wide range of things that could be at play here. Sometimes when people talk about homebrew flavor, um, we are typically talking about sometimes uh, the newest people to the hobby, the people with the least amount of experience, the most accessible way to make beer is with extract. Sometimes those kits have been sitting around forever, so product freshness can be a thing. Going for the yeast packet that is taped in there, the DME, the freshman, the 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 malt extract, whether it be DME or LME, the freshness can be an issue. The freshness of the hops in that package, on and on and on. Okay, so the first thing I would say is that you want product freshness. You want to make sure that you are purchasing your home brewing ingredients from a place that turns over a large volume. You want to make sure that you are using uh, fresh yeast that is close to its packaged on date. And just some of the little things. If you are making beer with uh, DME 
or uh, with malt extract. I would recommend uh, rehydrating that with um, what I would use is, is I would use like distilled water because that that malt extract already has its own water profile. And so if you're adding more ions on top of it with your base water, um, you could end up with a minerality issue. Um, so that would be one thing. So you could be rehydrating that extract with uh, with uh, RO water. That would be another thing you can do. Um, I would really step up your game on getting uh, a fermenter that is well cleaned. Think about a product like PBW and a product that is well sanitized. Consider a product like um, you can use IOTA for um, an iodine based thing, but also think about what's the other thing from Star San? The, the Star San. Oh no, it is, is it Star San? Yeah, from Five Star, it's Star San. Uh, check that out as well. Uh, make sure that you're cleaned and rinsed well. Um, you're using, and when you're using cleaner and you're using uh, sanitizer, measure it carefully. All right. It, it's only a no rinse sanitizer uh, within a certain window. Okay. So make sure you're doing the right thing. So, yes, it is a cleaning and sanitizing game. I would recommend um, for starting off uh, dry yeast packs um, that are nice and fresh. Um, sprinkle on top, you know, we can get into more complex things down the road, but if you're really clean, have fresh ingredients and you try to keep oxygen out of your process, I think you're, I think you're going to be cleaning up uh, a lot of those issues, a lot of those issues. So, um, yeah, I would also say there's a lack of, uh, sometimes there's a lack of patience, especially with newer brewers. So make sure that you're letting your beer ferment all the way out. If you can crash cool it, give it some days to really crash cool and drop all that yeast and sediment out. Get clean transfers, right? All those things can be those little things that can polish up, uh, polish up your uh, your 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 final product. So appreciate the question, Ari Slide. Uh, where can you get Tetra? Uh, Brian, I get it on, uh, where the heck do I get that? I might be able to get it. Uh, Google it. I, I hate to, I, I hate to say that, but I can't remember. I, I get it through BSG. I'm almost positive. I get it through BSG or did I get it through Barth Haas? Maybe Barth Haas. Um, but yeah, Tetra hop, Google, Google that. Um, brewing Tetra Hop, um, and that should get you get you on the right the right star, uh, the the right the right the right page. Yeah, and and as Peter mentioned too, yeah, temp control is is I mean that's all that that that's 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 all it that that's that's it in a nutshell. You're absolutely correct. Uh, next question is from Seven Lives on Reddit. Seven Lives left. I know everywhere everyone is looking for yeast to make clean lagers. I get that this can sometimes mean just free of any off flavors, fusel alcohols, or any esters that are not characteristic of lagers, uh, for example, fruit. 
However, I do like a slight sulfur flavor in lagers. I even go as far to say that this really makes me think of a traditional European lager. I have the most experience with 3470. I've also tried mangrove, jack, Bavarian lager, and a couple other dry yeast strains. I brew all grain and sometimes under pressure, depending on the season and temperature of my basement. Can anyone recommend some yeast or fermentation tips to help achieve this? Now, there's a couple things that uh, I actually had a great conversation with with Chase, the, my boss over at Sonder within the last week about sulfur. And um, so I'm going to take it this direction. All right. So a lot of times when we talk about sulfur during fermentation, uh, we're actually talking about hydrogen sulfide. And that's a gas that features kind of that unmistakable aroma of rotten eggs. Or if you're not as if you're, you know, a little less classy like me, you can think you can think that beer gets farty. Right. But that that nasty rotten egg kind of smell. Um that's not what we are talking about when we're talking about a positive sulfur in a lager. We're talking about sulfur dioxide, which actually comes off more like a match strike. Okay. Sulfur dioxide is actually an antioxidant in beer and can help increase shelf stability. Now, the first time I had an interaction with this was the first time that I spooned MGC Pills, a beautiful Pilsner that Maggie Grace Clark and now Jenkins uh, just got married this past week. I was just at her wedding. I cried. I love her so much. Uh, it, was, it was an absolutely wonderful time, but I'm getting uh, getting a little far afield here. Uh, we uh, spooned that beer. And what I noticed was, is I got through the typical range of fermentation. So I was using the Harvest Strain or the Augustiner Lager Strain. And for me, with the way I ferment, uh, you know, a handful of days in, I typically get a kick up of hydrogen, hydrogen sulfide, kind of like the eggy uh, type blow off from the ferment that subsides. And then I bung the tank and spunded it. Um, and what I noticed the next morning when I smelled the blow off off the spunding valve, it smelled like a matchstick. And I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. So um, what I have found is um, if I have found by actually spunding that beer, so not doing the entire ferment under pressure, but actually letting that build pressure with if you kind of expect one and a half to two Plato left of fermentation of, of bunging that thing up again, make sure that you have the appropriate equipment when you're spunding uh, these things off the pressure, the, the appropriate pressure rated vessels and whatnot. Um, and that might, that would, that's one of the first times that I've got that matchstick strike off of, off of a fresh pour. Now, I don't think that it's something that's supposed to be there the entire time. Sulfur dioxide is very um, is very volatile. So you give it a pour, maybe with the first sip, sniff, like you pull it, you set it down, you talk for a minute, pick it back up. It might be gone by then, and that's kind of that. That's kind of the sweet spot in my mind. All right, um, and yes, it is a very traditional uh, German lager thing. So. Um, yeah, I would actually look at uh, kind of taking that approach and see if you can kind of capture that up a little bit. So 
Anyways, thank you for the question. Uh, seven lives left. Next question comes from Stephen Patrick on Friendster. I have just harvested my Cascade hops. The hop crown has been in the ground for three years. I only harvested four ounces and I've dried them down to two ounces. Not knowing the alpha acid, how should I utilize them in a five-gallon batch? Bittering, late addition, thanks for your help. Well, Stephen Patrick... Um, I think you're, I, I think you're, you're onto something here. There, there's a, there's a couple of different ways to handle homegrown hops. Many of us will never get them lab tested to find out what the alpha acid is, things like that. There are sensory, uh, and, and visual evaluations, aromatic evaluations that you can do. Um, and you can dig through some of that stuff online and, and, and find out when, when that's ready, you can evaluate the strig and whatnot. Um, so jump into some strig evaluation. But um, but anyways, I like the fact that you got them picked, you got them dried, um, and you did drop a good amount of, of weight out of them. Um, but it, this isn't a thing that you can really use at bittering in my mind. In my mind, the best application for hops like this is Throw two ounces. If you're doing a five-gallon batch, uh, hit that up with the late edition. You don't know what you're going to be getting bitterness-wise. You may not have uh, a dependable amount of alpha acid to be uh, converting into bitterness through your boil. So lean on them for a little late flavor. Um, and uh, I think two ounces is awfully nice. It's not gonna. It's not gonna ruin a batch. That's for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, check it out. Um, I, I do think that's the way uh, to go with that. Um, I've only done the hop growing thing uh, for a couple of years back back when I was home brewing. Uh, I had screens and I was trying to put together an oast and I was a madman. But uh, but anyways, that's that's kind of my take. They just ended up to be ornamental for me more than anything. And now the lady that bought her house, I think, has a has a hammock hanging between those to four by fours, treated four by fours and trellis line I put between them. So anyways, it's probably getting better use now than it was before. Uh, thanks for the question, Stephen Patrick. Uh, from Friendster, no less. That's a, it's a, it's a, from the Wayback Machine. Next question. Is from Scott on the Instagram. Hey, Adam, here's one for you. The head brewer here did his first ever protein rest on one of our production beers. The rest was done at 127F. We've used loudering enzymes as part of our normal process. We've never had a collapsed bed before. Is it possible that the combination of lower temp rest and loudering enzymes may have broken things down too much? The grain bill is mostly Pilsner, with 17% flaked corn. Let me see something here real quick, you guys. Oh, rats. Oh, maybe. Be patient with me. I'm trying to... Uh, I'm trying to log in to... I need to actually log in to my... I'm using my camera my phone to record right now and so i'm trying to jump in 
And uh, oh, no, thanks. Whatever. Oh, geez. No, thanks. Skip. Um, I'm trying to jump into uh, Slack and see uh, if Chase was able to uh, get back to me because I actually asked him. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to try on my own here. Uh, I'll do my best with this in the meantime. Um, and is it possible that the combination of lower uh, temp rest and loudering enzymes may have broken things down too much? It, I, I guess it's really possible, um, but it, there's going to be a, a little bit of a uh, of a dummy answer. Um, hold on, just a second. Let me see if I can look this up on my phone. Mm -hmm. Don't go away. Don't go away. Hopefully you can still hear me. Okay, he wasn't able to uh, to get back to me. So let's see. Is this? Oh, it should be. What way? Yeah, I think this is it. Let's try this. <laughs> slowly drifting back over to me. All right. So actually this, this question, my answer might not be super good. Um, I guess it's possible. Um, I'm going to get an answer from, from Chase on this and, and I might actually need to bump this question to next month, Scott. I apologize. And probably what I'll do is when I get a really good answer on this, I'll, I'll message you direct directly back on Instagram. And then we'll uh, I'll save it for for next week's too. So there's actually a video up on it. Um, but I mean, I guess it I guess it's very possible. It, it's very possible. Um, my my gut would be is wanting to really make sure that there weren't any other process differences, um, like how quickly you were drawing um, on that. My, because I I feel like it, it's almost if you're collapsing a bed like it's most likely that it's something that's happening on the pump side with you. Okay. It's probably a user error thing, or you have a, a crush difference or something like that. But every time I've, I've tipped a bed over, leaned a bed to one side it's because I was drawing too hard or there was not, uh, or there was not a su sufficient amount of husk, uh, in, in, in the mash. Um, and I mean, I, I guess that could be the deal here, but th those enzymes are supposed to uh, help uh, with that. So I can't see it in the other direction, but again, I could be super wrong. So I'm gonna kind of uh, a little bit bow out on being able to answer that one for right now. Um, but anyways, but um, that is uh, my time and my questions for tonight. I have some good things coming up. I am going to be talking with, um, I believe, let's see if I can remember off the top of my head. Let's see here. I think we are going to be talking with Phil from Blickman uh, a little later this month. They have some new products that they're launching um, that are pretty sweet. Um, and uh, it's kind of that industry pro interview. So we're going to get some backgrounds on the equipment side of things. Um, and uh, so I'll make sure to post that when we're going to be getting that up. Keep an ear out for some of those other podcast uh, 
appearances for me coming up. And also, um, please consider sending, just dropping uh, the pro series at Blickman Engineering. Uh, just a quick note and thank you and thanking them for, for sponsoring Adam Makes Beer. Um, it, it's very much appreciated. And yeah, um, beyond that, I'll see you here in a couple weeks. Um, hope you guys are, are, are all doing well and, and taking care of the, the people that you love. And yeah, hope you have a, hope you have a great week. And until the next time we see each other, have a good one. Bye.